we have another privilege now, and that's of turning to God's Word. As Anna said at the beginning of the service, we're in the middle of a series of studies on the Psalms, and today we're looking at Psalm 73. We do encourage you to follow it in your Bibles. If you haven't bought your own, I think there's still one of the church Bibles left out at the, at the front door there, and you'll find it on page 909. Page 909, Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly <coughs> lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. In vain I've washed my hands in innocence, but day long I've been plagued. I've been punished every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was too oppressive for me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they're destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream, when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will, take, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there's nothing beside, I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This is the word of the Lord. As was mentioned, Ben and a lot of the other youth leaders are away at Wynette up Mount Tambourine for a conference to be refreshed and recharged and, and trained. 
Uh, so you have to put up with me. This is Benny's series talking about uh, our identity, our true identity in God. And Ben's trusted me to do one of these talks. I hope I do his series justice, let alone God's word justice. I fear God more than Ben, but yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, how about we pray before we look at this psalm? Dear Father, I do thank you that you never abandon us, you never leave us, but you're always there and you speak to us. Lord, I just pray that this day that you would speak to us, that as we draw near to you through your word, in the presence of your spirit, that when we meet, Jesus meets with us too. That, Lord, you will open our ears and open our hearts to know you better, to know you clearly, and to know ourselves better as your children. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Earlier this year, there was a lady in China who got stuck in a lift, stuck between the, th the 10th and the 11th floor. It was the 30th of January, a date that will be important a little bit later. Uh, but what do you do when you're stuck in a lift? She didn't want to be forgotten there, so she pushed the emergency button. And then, as you'd hope, the technicians come to repair the elevator. And they came and they realised it was a bigger job than they thought it was going to be, that they wouldn't have the job completed that day, that they would return the next working day. Now, if you know how the Chinese calendar works, uh, they have this thing called a New Year's celebration and New Year's holidays, which last the whole of February. <laughs> The next working day was the 1st of March. They got the doors open and the lady had been forgotten and had died. Not a fun way to start a talk, is it? But it does show you. I think being forgotten, for me personally, is one of the most traumatic things you can ever experience. And I'm sure we've all experienced it in one way or another. That, you know, when somebody says, look, I'll pick you up at this time. Or I'll meet you at this particular place at this time. I'll be there and we'll get together and we'll have fun. And, you know, you're there, you're on time. And you start looking at your watch and you start thinking five minutes past, ten minutes past. When do I make the phone call? because I don't want to be forgotten. I think they have forgotten me. When do I make the phone call? If you make it too early, sounds like you're a bit antsy and a bit precious. Do you leave it too late? Maybe you have been forgotten too late. Or then when do you start thinking, well, actually, as 20 minutes pass, 30 minutes pass, you go stuff it. Actually, I didn't want to go to that event anyway. I didn't want to catch up with them. Tough luck, I'm just going back on my own path. When do you get to those points? I mean, we've all been there. I think we've all been there, haven't we? Or is it just me? me uh, in my own insecurities it probably is just me uh, being forgotten well this morning we're going to get to know a guy called Asaph Asaph is a guy who wrote this Psalm 73 he lived some uh, just over 500 years BC a bit over 500 years before Jesus and he was a good Jew uh, which just means he was a part of the people of God and he's really frustrated because he thinks he's been forgotten and not just forgotten by anybody. He says, I think I've been forgotten by God. That God has forgotten me. And he shares his story. He's, his process of going, when do I start to worry? It's been so long since I've heard from God. When do I start to worry that I've been forgotten? When do I make the phone call to God to say, hey, here I am, remember me? He says, no, actually, I'm over being worried. I'm over praying to God. In fact, I'm at the stage where I'm going, stuff it. Stuff it all. I don't think this whole God thing's worth it. I'm ready to walk out. That's the point he's got to. And you can see his beef with God in verse 1 when he says, Surely, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. 
Now, this would have been saying something they'd say regularly each time they went to the temple, each time they greeted each other often. God is good. God is good to Israel, his people, to those who are pure in heart. It's one of their core beliefs. And we say it as well. We use different words than that, but we talk about that often here at Southside, that God is good. And we've seen it even in the last couple of weeks. In the last two weeks, as we've got into this trying to understand our identity, uh, we've seen this. Uh, we can see it in the pyramid. We've used this pyramid uh, in trying to understand our identity. That if you've been in part of the growth groups, we look at this every week. But it's a really helpful pyramid to understand who we are. That God's at the top of our pyramid. And we are underneath him. And we've got the world around us at the bottom of the pyramid, the four corners around us. And the first talk Benny brought to us is that we are made in the image of God, that God is a relational God. He's a loving God. So when he made us, he made us for relationships. He made us for love. And he established that with us. He knows us perfectly. He knows us intimately for relationship with the God of the universe. God is good. God is good to those who are pure in heart. And then last week, uh, we saw how we are forgiven. So even though we do the wrong thing against God and we sin against God, and that just means we do things that offend him and it breaks the relationship with him. Even though we do that, he still reaches out to us to restore the relationship. He doesn't say, come on, you come to me. I've given as much as I'm going to give. No, he reaches out to us to the restore the relationship through sending Jesus to the cross to die for our sin to pay the penalty for that broken relationship. He restores us through forgiveness at his own cost to bring us back into a relationship with him. God is good. God is good to his people. It's very different to religion, this message. Religion is all about us making our way to God to get to him. But no, this is the God reaching out to us. God is good. And when we think about that, we think, well, actually, Christians should be the happiest people in the universe, shouldn't they? God is good to us. He's established this relationship. Even though we sin, he reaches out to us and brings us back into relationship as his children. God is good to us. We could start up a song. Was there a kid's song? God is good to me. God is good. We could sing that all around the house. Apart from being a bit tacky, there's some other things that might trouble us about saying that all the time because sometimes actually sometimes it's more than sometimes sometimes i sit back and start to wonder there's this little voice inside of me that says actually i feel sometimes god has forgotten me that god is not always good to me there's a little voice that says and you can hear, see it through asaf in a few moments that says actually look around at your friends look around at your neighbors and see what they've got. See, their lives are much easier than mine. I can see God is good. God is good to them, but not necessarily to me. Look around at the people in church sitting around you now. You know, they've got their lives all perfect, perfect children. They're all dressed here. For me, I was lucky to get here on time, let alone get here with the perfect life. God is good to them, but I'm not sure if God is good to me. I'm not sure. I'm struggling to see how God helps me. So have you ever felt like Asaph? God is good to all those people, but for me, I'm feeling forgotten. Maybe in the last week, the last day, or in the last hour. Sometimes we feel like God's forgotten me. 
See, Asaph describes his life like this. That there's this little voice, and sometimes it's a not-so-little voice, that starts to question that. And he says, look around. Look around, and what do you see? And Asaph sees two things. The first thing he sees, he sees the prosperity of others. Excuse me. How others are, are doing it well, that they have no struggles. And he says, I want what they've got. We can see it from verse 3. He says, I envy them, because I look at them, and they have the good life. Here I am, I'm working hard and I've got, never have enough money, I've got no money, but yet they've got enough money to do whatever they want. Here I am drowning in my mortgage and here they're all they are on their overseas holidays doing whatever they want. He says, well, I'm doing my best to tithe to church. He says, I see others, they're, they're rich and they're playing around with their investments. I've got nothing to invest. He says, I look around and I see God is good to some people but just not me. The first thing he sees prosperity. The second thing he sees is how he's going physically. Because that really matters in our life, how we're going physically, our health-wise, doesn't it? <clears throat> it's not just about money. But he says, this is what I see when I look around. We see it in verse 4 and 5. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. He says, well, I have to visit the doctor and the doctors can't tell me what's wrong with me. Well, I have to uh, get my back looked at because some days the back's so bad I can't leave the house. And my migraines are so bad sometimes I can't even leave the bedroom. And if it's not me, it's my children. I'm in and out of doctors all the time, in and out of seeing specialists and hospitals, spend half my life in waiting rooms. Yet I see them. They're out for the weekend. They're out having their parties, their picnics, their, their holidays away, their bushwalks. I see they're all got the good life. God is good to some people. It's just not good to me. I'm missing out. He says, nothing stops them. They don't struggle for anything. But I think and I feel like God's forgotten me. And you can feel for Asaph, because Asaph says, this is not right. This is actually injustice on God's side. And you can see his thought process as this is going deeper and deeper. And you can feel his pain in verse 6. He says, I'm a better person than them. I'm pure in heart. But yet they're proud and they're arrogant because of the way they think of themselves. Verse 7, he says, I listen to you, God, but they have hard hearts. They don't care about sin. They don't care about God. They just do what they want. Verse 8, I don't give people a hard time, but they, they pick on people who follow Jesus. They mock and scoff people who go to church. And verse 9, he says, this is the bit I don't get. He says, we talk about heaven, but they claimed heaven now. He says, they've got it all now. Why would they have to wait through the pain, through the suffering for heaven as a future event? They claim it now because they've got it all now. And verse 10, he says, they don't need God. They come up with their own philosophies on life and everybody seems to believe it. They drink it up like water. And they're happy without God, he says in verse 11. They're going okay. See, I don't see God punishing them. I don't see God doing anything bad to them to pull them into line. They're fine. He sums it up in verse 12. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree. They always increase with health. Uh, always increase in health. And he says, now look at the two teams. And what team do you want to be on? You've got one team with no worries, no problems, no stress in life. Well, you've got me and my team following God where, where life's hard. Nothing seems to be going right. He says, I think I should be on that team, or they, I should have what they've got. See, I should have 
the marriage that they've got. I should have the children that they've got. I should have the jobs that they've got, the income that they've got, the holidays that they've got. I should have the life that they've got because I follow God. They're on a different team. He says, just look around you and see what you're missing out on. This week I heard a story from a retired kindergarten teacher and he tells the story of his kindergarten class. He says, you know, the same thing would happen most mornings in his class. The kids would come together at the start of the day. They'd all be playing nice, be sharing toys, and everything would be all nice. But then things would change at morning tea time. In morning tea, you can imagine these little kids. They sit up at their tables. They lift up their lunch boxes to see what mum's packed them for lunch. And they open up the lunch boxes. And then they start comparing and get all competitive. And he says, usually what happens, Johnny picks out his lunch, he holds his lunch in a plastic bag, he's got cheese sticks, and he says, look what I've got, yum, as he stands and shows everybody. Then he looks at Sally sitting beside him. He goes, peanut butter sandwiches, yuck. <laughs> at that point, he says, usually Sally bursts into tears because she's just realised her mum doesn't love her. Johnny's mum gives him cheese sticks. I get peanut butter sandwiches. But he says, that's what we do. We look around, this is what Asaf's doing. I'm looking around, I'm seeing all the things they're getting. And that little voice inside of me starting to question, does God really love you? Does God really love you? It's almost like the serpent in the garden talking to Eve. Did God really say, element of doubt, does God really love you? Asaph's at breaking point. He says, ask the question then, am I really wasting my time with God? Am I, is it all for nothing? You see it in verse 13 and 14. He says, I've tried to be a good child of God. You know, he's a good Jew. He goes to the temple. He does all the ceremonial cleansing like they had to do in the Old Testament, the washing of hands, confessing, confessing of sin, trying to keep his heart pure. Now, for us, we might say, God, I've tried to live your way. I've tried to love others. And Lord, you know how hard it is to love others. But yet I try to love others. I try to say the right thing and do the right thing in my actions. I try to go to church when I can. But is it all in vain? Is it all in vain because God is nowhere to be seen? He says, I feel rotten. I hate my life where it is now. God is not listening. God is not intervening. Either God is not interested in me or God's abandoned me and I'm forgotten. See, Asaph is in a really dark place right now. He says, I feel like this all the time. All day long I feel like this. I felt like this yesterday. I feel like this today. I'm probably going to feel the same tomorrow. It's not leaving me. Why is God punishing me? He says, this situation is real and it's oppressing me. And verse 16, he says, I can't keep saying I'm fine because I'm not fine. I can't go around telling people I'm okay because I'm not okay. It's where I think the pyramid uh, can be helpful. This pyramid, I love the pyramid. It helps me understand God, helps me understand myself better. But when a person looks at the four corners of their life, the horizontal, they're looking at what's going on around them, particularly when they're feeling a bit depressed, they often feel withdrawn from their friends. 
You see it going on Asaph's life. He's not turning to his friends for advice or his opinion. He's actually shunned them. His friends seem so far away, those four corners. He's actually come smaller. And when he looks to God for guidance, God for help, God seems so far away that he's abandoned him. The, the, the pyramid's got so much bigger or he's got so much smaller and it's just not working out that he can't understand what's going on. And at those times, uh, when you think you start to get cynical, you start to get negative, you start to think you're missing out, you do often start to withdraw from life and the people around you. And at that time, we can easily mix up uh, perception with reality about what's going on. You know, everybody else is happy and I'm not. I mean, I see it every day when I open up my Facebook account. Everybody else is on holidays. Everybody else is out going out for dinner, having their nice coffees with the pretty pattern in it. You see lots of photos of them. Everybody else is enjoying life and uh, having their anniversaries. But me, I'm stuck at home. I've got nothing going on. No love in my life. See, what's going on? Now, I'm no expert in clinical depression, but I do know that there's a bit of a spectrum when we talk about depression. Sometimes it's just having the dark days where we just feel rotten. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where we need to see professional help because we need, uh, whether it's medication and counselling. And you might notice in the pyramid, there is a corner of the life for a healthy lifestyle. There's professionals to help us keep a balanced, healthy life, even mentally. Uh, that's a good way to be. But you can see for Asaph, he's showing some unhealthy signs, unhealthy signs of anxiety, paranoia. And I'd say it would be helpful for him to see a professional to talk this stuff through. But the pyramid's also very helpful in establishing who we are as followers of God, as children of God, and who we are in our true identity. See, look how Asaph is describing his identity. He says, I'm one of Israel. I'm one of God's people. You know, I go down to the temple. I keep myself pure. You know, I'm one of God's people. He uses God language. But where is he looking to affirm his identity? He's not looking at God, is he? He's looking at all around him. What's going on around? Instead of getting his head in the word in scriptures and drawing near to him through prayer, he's going down the street and looking at his neighbours and seeing what they're up to and trying to measure himself up to them instead of coming, drawing near to God. He's not looking where he should be to find his identity. He uses the language, but he's not drawing near to God. Now, this is a mistake we can often do when we look for our identity, to affirm our identity in the horizontal things, the world around us, instead of looking for identity in God. Let me give you a few examples. If you find your identity in work, that work makes you who you are, then when things go bad, say if you did a stuff up, or maybe you got retrenched, all of a sudden you've lost your identity and you're a nobody. Or if your identity's in friends, when the phone calls stop and the social life slows down, all of a sudden you feel like an outcast and rejected. Or if you find your identity in family, when they stop making the phone calls, they stop calling around and visiting, uh, the best you can expect for Mother's Day is maybe a card and might be a couple of days late. It doesn't say much for your identity. That is a subtle reminder, Mother's Day next week too. Love your mums. 
But when we want to impress others, and that's what it's all about, when we look for our identity in that horizontal level, we're trying to impress others and we're trying to do our best to get recognition from them, affirmation from them, and we're not getting that to affirm our identity. So we try harder and harder and work harder and harder and beat ourselves up more and more and we end up just wearing ourselves down because we're always struggling to affirm ourselves with them. But God says, no, I love you as one of my children, first go to God to affirm your identity. Go to God to affirm you. Are you a child of God? Are you in a living relationship with him? And when you're in that living, loving relationship with him, then as you look at the horizontal, you're not looking to them for affirmation, but you've been affirmed by God himself and that out, the outworking of that goes into your relationship with others. Anything can happen down there, but your relationship is God, with God is rock solid. And you can see this is where Asaph goes. He says, when I see my identity with God, then I can see I'm okay. Because he stops looking at others and he starts looking at God. And he sees the world completely differently. We can see there's a big turning point in verse 17. He says, then I entered the sanctuary of God. He comes to the temple where God's presence is. He doesn't just talk about God before it was God this, God that, why are you doing that? But no, now he's actually doing something about it. He's going to the presence of God at the sanctuary, at the temple. Now for us, we don't have a temple, thankfully. We're not making sacrifices, but we have God's word. It says, come draw near to my son. We can see that through his word, the Bible that we've got. We draw near to his Holy Spirit, which he gives us. We can pray to him a prayer that like he's just there in our room. We draw near to the people, God's people around, like here at church, where Jesus says the church is his body. This is my people. This is where you can find me. We can draw near to God through that as well. And he goes, Asaph goes on in verse 18. He describes his experience like putting on a set of glasses, a set of glasses that sees the world clearly through God's eyes. He says, before I had my dark shades on that made the world feel dark, it made me feel dark, I was in a dark place. But now I've got God's glasses on, I can see the world from his perspective, an eternal perspective and a God-like perspective. And he goes on to describe it. He says... Uh, Verse 2, he mentioned how he felt he was on slippery ground. But he says, now I can see they are on slippery ground. He says, I felt my life was cast down to ruin, but now I can see they are cast down to ruin. I thought my life was destroyed and swept away. He says, now I see they are. I thought I was like a fantasy with God. I was like a fairy tale to God, that I just wasn't real to him. But now I can see that they are living in a world of fantasy. He can see things clearly now through God's eyes, through his perspective. And he also says, now I can look back. When I was going through all those dark times, having those dark thoughts, he describes them in verse 21, 22. He says, my heart, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, he says, I can see I was angry at God. No doubt about it. I was in an angry place with God. But he says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was a senseless I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Instead of being that loving child coming before the loving father, God, it's like, I was like the neighbor's dog that you just want to kick. You know the neighbor's dog who comes and poos on your lawn? You just want to give it a good kick to get out of there. But 
He says, I was like the dog pooing on God's lawn. I was the brute beast with my attitude and what I was doing. I deserve to be kicked. But he says at that time, he goes on in verse 23, when I doubted God, when I doubted his love, he says, I am always with you. That's what he's saying. It's not because I have a strong grip on God that I cling to God and I'm never going to give up on God. No, because he was ready to give up. He was on slippery ground. But God hangs on to me. He says, I'm always with you because you hold me by my right hand. So despite the times where I thought I knew everything, I needed to kick up the pants, he says, you held me by my right hand. You didn't give up on me. He says, you guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you, you will take me into glory. I remember back in the 80s, I know that was a long time ago, but back in the 80s, I have a clear remember, if you went into anybody's household, anybody at church, or even remotely went to church, or even anybody that went into a shop like Kurong, they'd have a picture on the wall of a sandy beach. No, if you're around in the 80s, sandy beach, a bit tacky. But what was really cool about that picture was a little story about footprints in the sand. Now, that was a very cool story. You should get to know that one. But it's very refreshing to know. There's stories about this guy who's looking back over his life and he sees in the sand two sets of footprints and he thinks back at his life. He says, that was really cool. I can see when I was doing life, walking through the sand, God was right beside me. God was beside me the whole way. But then he looks in the sand and says, hang on a minute, for a while there, there's only one set of footprints. And he thinks back and he goes, yeah, that was when I was wrestling. That was when I was in the dark place. That was when I had a lot of stuff going on in my life that I couldn't handle. And where was God? There's my footprints. Where was God when all this was happening? So he asks God, where were you in that time of my life? Why did you abandon me? Why did you forget me? And God answered, yeah, I know that time in your life. I didn't abandon you. I didn't forget you. That's when I carried you. That's when I carried you through those times. That's when I carried you to support you, to bring you here. This is what Asaph can see. Now that he's got God's glasses on, he can see his, his life clearly, the world clearly. He says, when I look back over those times, the dark times, where was God I cried out? He's abandoned me. But no, God says, that's when I carried you. God says, that's when I led you by the hand. That's when I gave you counsel. That's when I will lead you to glory. That's his experience as he looks back. God didn't abandon him. He was always there. See, this is when Asaph recognises his true identity. His true identity is in God and God alone. See, when we reflect on the pyramid, we can look to the corners of our life to affirm our identity. It says, no, I'm not going to look there anymore. I'm just going to look at God for my identity and God alone. This is how he goes on, how he expresses it in verse 25. He says, whom have I in heaven but you? He says, I'm looking forward to heaven. It's going to be a great place, streets paved with gold. It's going to be beautiful. But if God's not there, what a waste of time that's going to be. What a waste of time. He says, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. Remember earlier in the psalm when he was in the dark place and he looked around, see all those things he desired. They're prosperous. They've got their health. They've got all those good things. They've got the perfect life. Why haven't I? I desire what they've got. He says, no, actually, I can have all those things, but without God, it's all worthless. It's all pointless. 
Earth has nothing I desire besides you. Now, I want to encourage you, if you feel envious when you look at the prosperity of others, and that's a real experience, not just for Asaph some two and a half thousand years ago, but for us today, when we look around, get envious of what other people have got, this verse is for you. This verse is something we should preach to ourselves every morning when we get up. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. We've got to remind ourselves that. This is my identity in God and God alone. But Asaph wasn't just wrestling with prosperity, was he? He was wrestling with bad health. And that's a real struggle. If you're wrestling with health issues, and I know in our church family there are a number of people with long-term health issues going on, being plagued with sickness. This next verse is, verse is for you as well, verse 26. When he says in his pain, his real pain, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, even in health issues, and I think these are real health issues for Asaph. It's not a metaphor that's talking about something else. It's talking about real things. He's referred to it a couple of times. But he says, but notice what he's not saying. He's not praying for healing here. He's not expecting God to heal him. But no, he's saying, you are my strength of my heart and my portion forever. He says, while I'm going through this season of life, I know God is there for my strength. God knows what I'm going through. Now, if you want to be encouraged, if you're doing it tough, whether it's uh, health needs or just getting through life, I encourage you, and I haven't spoken to Judy about this, but I encourage you to talk to Judy. We heard a couple of weeks ago some of the things she's going through. Uh, lungs becoming weak, treater, uh, cancer has become untreatable. But if you talk to Judy, you will find a great encouragement from her. She mightn't say these words, but she will give you this message my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I hope you got that message a couple of weeks ago. If you weren't here, you missed a great Sunday. Or even talk to Wes, our brother Wes we haven't seen for a while. He's uh, halfway through nearly six months worth of chemo to deal with his lymphoma, uh, that he's unable to come to church, he's at home with his family. But if you talk to him, he'll say, yeah, things are tough, I'm doing it tough. But he always has that word of encouragement. I go to encourage him. He encourages me with words similar to that my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He says, with God there, I know things are okay when you talk to him. Now, when you talk to these people, you know it's just not the power of positive thinking. It's not just get your mind right and she'll be right. No, this is real. People dealing with big issues and going, no, God is there. He's my strength. He's my portion He's the one I'm going to rely on. Now, I know there are times when it feels hard and it feels dark and God feels far away and he doesn't listen to me and he doesn't understand what I'm going through. But just don't think, I think this is a message of Asaph, don't think that because God's not answering your prayers the way you want, he's not fixing your life the way you want, that he doesn't care and he's not listening. In fact, Jesus, when you look at God's son when he walked the earth, knows what we're going through more than anyone else. You know, look what Jesus went through. Born into poverty, so he left the riches of heaven. This is the king, the creator of the universe, left the throne of heaven to be born into a peasant family, to grow up having nothing, to be grown into a man to have nothing, to be killed with nothing. He knows what poverty is like. Look at Asaph feeling all alone. Jesus felt all alone. We often feel all alone. 
You say, well, Jesus wandered around the country with his 12 friends, his 12 apostles that followed him around for years. Well, one not only abandoned him, but dobbed him in so he'd be killed, some friend he was. And the other 11, when push come to shove, they defriended him, they ran for sure, because they didn't want to be associated with him and be killed themselves. He died alone, without them around. What about the pain and suffering? That Jesus willingly went to the cross to have nails put through his hands, to die the slow death of suffocation with the weight on his lungs. It was the hardest, most painful death the Romans could come up with at that time. He knows pain and suffering. This is the same Jesus who went healing the sick, healing the poor and the lame. He could have hopped off the cross himself. But no, he took the pain and suffering so we wouldn't have to. Because Jesus did it, there is no pain and suffering in heaven. Sure, we have to struggle with it now, and Jesus can empathise with us. But he abolished it in heaven. What about sometimes when we feel like God is far away and God's actually separated himself from us, and we feel like that? But none of us have felt it like the way Jesus felt it. That when he went to the cross and he was pinned up and he was dying the death that we deserved, when the weight of the sin of the world was put on him, the sin that breaks the relationship with God that we talked about earlier, the the sin that destroys that relationship, Jesus goes to the cross to, to, to pay the penalty for that sin. So as the sins put on Jesus' shoulders and God can no longer have a relationship with his son because his son's covered with our sin, what does Jesus say on the cross? Father, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that point in time, the father turns his face away. He separates himself from Jesus. Really? Separates himself. So Jesus deals with our sin, the cost of our sin. Jesus knows what it's like. But he does it to restore us so we don't have to feel like that. So there will be and never should be a time where we say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus has dealt with it. He's done with that. God will never leave us. He'll continually lead us by our right hand. So for someone like Asaph, even though he lived before the cross, and is pleading to God and could see this through, through life through God's perspective, for us living after the cross, and we can see how God deals with this and makes it a reality, makes our identity a reality as children of God. Even Asaph can see, though, is good for me to draw near God. He's tried everything else. He's looked all around me to affirm his identity. It didn't work. He's finally looked at God and can see things clearly. He's a child of God, and he's in a safe place. That God restores us, And God gives us a true perspective of the world. And he sums it up just in this last couple of verses in verse 27, 28. He sees the world clearly and he says, Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Now we are so blessed to live in the New Testament times after the cross when we can see that Jesus, Jesus is often referred to in the New Testament as our great high priest, one who can empathise with us. He's gone through everything that we have gone through. He's a safe place that we can draw near to, to see God, to be affirmed through him. He's the place, he's our sanctuary we go to draw near to the presence of God. So at times when we feel like we're moving down into that dark place, 
And if it's not today, it's probably tomorrow or just around the corner. We need to remember we are not forgotten. And when that voice gets in our ear, that does God really love you? Look around. That we know not to listen to that voice, but to run to Jesus. Run to Jesus who affirms our identity as that we are children of God when we come to him and we trust in him. He'll never leave us. He'll hold us by the hand, walk us into glory. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you that you are a loving and faithful God, that you'll never leave us, abandon us, even when we feel like you've gone, when we feel like we're in a dark place and you've forgotten about us. Help us to see, Lord, that you are holding us by the hand, you are carrying us. You might not answer our prayers the way we want, but Lord, you have something much greater in mind for us. Lord, help us to preach to ourselves a message of looking at you, focusing on you. There's nothing, nothing we should value on this world beside you, that you are our strength and our portion forever. Help us to preach to ourselves each and every day to know our identity is rock solid. It's affirmed in Jesus Christ that we are your children and we should trust you and you alone. Lord, I pray for our people in our church family here who are wrestling with that dark place whether it's pain and suffering through physical health, whether we're tempted to look around and we think we're missing out through hard times and poverty. Lord, we pray for restoration. But most of all, we pray for restoration in our relationship with you, knowing that you are the one we can trust. You are the one that loves us more than anyone in this world and help us to follow you and hold tightly onto your hand as you lead us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.